Best of the year? Hard to believe that it is the end of 2023. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that everybody, it's like the most cliche thing in the world to say that, like in November right. of any year, like, how did we even get here? But like, yeah. Why don't I remember the beginning of this year <laughs> at all? I, like at all? Yeah. It's just out of my head. I don't know. It's truly terrible. Anyway, I mean, ugh. do you see I'm wearing these crazy glasses? I'm I'm so sorry that I, I always look ridiculous now, but I cannot see anymore. <laughs> yeah, like the humiliation of that is super real, right? It's Where you're really just like terrible. it's terrible. I feel so I'm not that old, by the way. Everybody in text in a textual message I with me earlier today. I misnumbered. Jen Sarah. aged me by two entire years. Your birthday feels- is in three weeks. I have it is Sagittarius season coming up. In fact, actually, well, it's still Scorpio season, so it's still it's Scorpio you're gonna, season. You're gonna take what I give you. Exactly. As we are recording, it is Scorpio season, but when this episode comes out, it will be Sagittarius season. And so I have already begun shouting out my office door. If anybody would like to purchase me a gift anytime in the next month, a very bright light for my desk, which will help me see better, (laughs) would be well welcomed. And yes. uh, I know last week we talked about Eric's session with uh, wire cutter, and so I am certain that I will have a very bright uh, light for my desk that is not at all form and very much function. Uh, absolutely, I uh, upgraded the bedside lamp because you can't see. Is it because you can't see, Jen? <laughs> the lamp was broken. I think it's probably fixable, but not by me. And then I somehow got like, I think light bulbs that are way brighter. And now it's almost like too much in there for me. But you know what? It's okay. It's nice. Welcome everyone to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. I'm Jennifer Prokop, romance reader and editor. And I just hope that Eric, cut all that out and you have no idea what we were talking about. Like, maybe you're like, no, they're probably talking about how Jen Taylor went to see two concerts Swift. this week. Oh, yeah, and- you did it. But don't tell them who. Sure. Because, well, Taylor- <laughs> Trevor Noah, I guess, wasn't a concert comedian. I feel like he's well <laughs> Trevor Noah's the cool. range of sure. coolness. Sure, yeah. sure. He's allowed. He's allowed in. <laughs> Ooh, good point. Okay, so we're not going to do that. We're just going to talk about romance novels that we loved in 2023. Which, because we are young and relaxed and groovy. Yes. <laughs> um, no, but here's the thing. This is our this is our episode. Every year, this is the episode we look forward to the most. We get so excited. We do a lot of, like, you know, scrappy discussion of, you know, who should be on the list, who gets to decide which book, who gets to talk about which book, because often there are books where we overlap and we love them both very much. And then there's usually a book or two where, like, one of us has read it and the other one hasn't, which is also fun. And this this week, I think, this year, I think we have all of those things. As always, let's get the important stuff out of the way. There are ways for you to support all of these authors, all while supporting a queer, woman-owned, anti-racist, super-feminist bookstore in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, an indie bookstore that loves romance so much they put them all right at the front of the store, right inside the door. This is Pocket Books in Lancaster. You can head over to fatedmates.net slash pocketbooks and order this Group of books, the box. 
along with some extra titles, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode. So what we've done this year, Pocket has put together the official box, and then in classic Faded Maids fashion, we just can't stop ourselves. (laughs) So there are a bunch of other books that you'll be able to sort of add on as like supplemental stuff, including all of my books signed. Um, So we're super excited. You'll get signed. Many of the books in the box will come with signed book plates, and um, they will also come with Faded Maids stickers, Faded Maids pins, and Pocketbooks maybe is throwing some things in too. So we're yeah. excited. It's, it's going to be a fun box. everybody, but it's going to be okay. Oh, it's not pins? I don't know. We're just trying our best. We don't everybody. know what we're doing. It's fine. You, you'll get something from us. You'll also, you'll get a letter from us, which usually happens too. So that's fun. Um, and in general, you'll just be able to like be relaxed, read romance novels throughout the rest of the year. Just like all gas, no breaks through the end of the year. Yes. Until 2024. Reading great books. Or giving them away. Some people buy the box. They give it to a friend. Sometimes sometimes they buy the box and they like unpack the box and then wrap all the books up for their friends. I love it. Listen, I, love I support it. all of it because in the end, every penny that you spend goes to either a great independent bookseller or great, great author. Exactly. Okay. So I would like to say before we start that... Uh, I am not allowed to put my favorite book of the year on this list because Sarah wrote it. So, sorry, everybody. Oh, listen to that. That was an unplanned. That's It was unplanned because she was like, you're not going to let me do it. But listen, I love Knockout. Tommy Go Boom. It was amazing. It was dedicated to me. And it was my <laughs> best book of the year. And all year, all week long or weeks that we've been like planning this, I've been like, what is wrong with my list? And I was like, oh, right. Knockout's not on it. So anyway, just throwing that out there. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Don't have a podcast with an author you love because then you can't put her book on the best Exactly, because then she says, let's not talk about my books. Sure. Um, and let's not talk about my books. But if you haven't read Knockout, you can buy a signed copy of it as an add-on to your box from Pocket Books. Okay. And that That's is it. that. Okay. All right. So how do we want to tackle this list, Sarah? I don't know. Do you want to play our normal game, which is like segues? Oh, yeah. One of true. us starts and then we try to segue in. Sure. I think you should start. I think you should start. I also think uh, if I'm if I've counted correctly, we're going with a rogue number eleven this year. Yeah, that's only because I uh, we like put some indies and we couldn't really. Decide I was like, they're indies. I get to call to, so you know, just add them what we want. Listen, guess what, everybody? We're in charge. <laughs> we get to do it. We can be chaos. Exactly. Tommy goes boom. Okay, I'm going to start with Ashley Herring Blake. I think it actually might be the most recently published book on the list okay so um ashley herring blake you've heard me talk about these books before she's writing a bright falls series which is a contemporary romance series set in a small town called bright falls um it's all sapphic though uh different different combinations of sexuality so um we have now seen Two books prior to this, this group, it's a group of, it was a group of, you know, some number of girl of women. It, you know, the important number is three here. <laughs> um, and the first two books, uh, these two, the, you know, the, the two friends got matched up. They got, they got together. They, you know, partnered up and they are very happy, happy living happily ever after. And Iris Kelly, um, who is the third in the trio, Iris um, is 
really very happy with for her friends. Like, super duper happy for her friends, but like, kind of sad. And the reason why she's sad is not because she also wants to be paired up, but because she really misses her friends. And I think this is a really nice, like, way of entering this new world of contemporary romance. We talk so much over the year. We have talked a lot about like what's happening in contemporaries and what contemporaries trying to do and how it's really about community now, like finding community. And I think there is, so there is a, there's something very refreshing about a character who's like, I'm super happy for my friends, but like, I don't get to see them as much anymore. Like it's not the same because now we have these other people who I also really love. But, like, it's just not the same. So, um, Iris has a fairly new career as a romance novelist. And she, but she has had a rough, she had a rough breakup with um, an ex. She is bi. um, And her ex wanted to have children and she did not want to have children. And she broke up with this man. And um, she and her parents were sort of unsettled by this. Like, they didn't love it. Uh, They wanted, you know, they they wanted a particular kind of life for her that she does not want herself. And so she's kind of in this, like, funny place as a character and as a person in the world. And she goes, she meets um, her heroine, Stevie, who is uh, an actress who is involved in, like, a community theater production who's, like, also going through her own shit. If you Mm -hmm. have been around, like, large groups of lesbians, you know that, like, Often, I went to Smith. Um, caveat: I went to Smith. Um, you know that, like the like that relationship is really when you break up with somebody as a lesbian. Like often, that you everything everybody's so connected that your ex doesn't leave the universe. They just sort of stay. You stay like in a friend group, and it is a challenge in many ways. So Stevie's ex is now dating like another friend in their group. It's all complicated and weird. And everybody else in the group is sort of like, Stevie, is it complicated and weird? And she's like, it's not at all. I have a new girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Except she doesn't. <laughs> what she has is Iris, who's like on a whim trying out for this play or going to work, you know, be in, be a part of this play, which is a queer retail, a queer, uh, a queering of much ado about nothing for those mm. of you who are Shakespeare lovers. Um, anyway, so Iris, so she says to Iris, like, would you be willing to fake date me? And Iris is sort of like, this actually could be good for me because it'll inspire me. The fake dating will inspire me in my romance writing. And Stevie's like, this will be good for me because my friends will all believe that I'm like over the fact that my ex is now like, falling in, like, has fallen in love with somebody else in our group, right? And so it's just this kind of, like, really big, expansive book about, like, the all the different ways that we love and all the complexities of the ways that we love and, like, how we set boundaries with our families and with our friends and how we sort of learn to be ourselves in these big communities where we start to feel a little bit like fish out of water. Um, on top of it all, Ashley's hilariously funny as a writer. It's just a really fun book. And um, if you haven't read this series, I, I'm on record you for love loving it. You series, yeah. Um, and you should just start from the beginning and enjoy yourselves. So that is Iris Kelly Doesn't Date by Ashley Herring Blake. Perfect. Okay, I am going to jump to the whole, like, the whole group has a say in you and your ex being around, right? Yeah. And that book is um, Jana Goes Wild by Farah Heron. I've talked about this book briefly before, 
Um, one of my like big fears, I don't know if you have like the same one when, when we do this every year is that like recency bias will essentially like take over, right? Like just whatever I most recently read is on my mind. But I read this book. I mean, it came out, I think, in, I want to say, April or May of this year. And I think about this book a lot. Like, it, so, you know, one of the things for me about, like, a like kind of what makes a book the best of, right? Because, of course, it's also personal, is, like, kind of that staying power feeling. And this, to me, is probably one of the best, if not the best, second chance romance I've ever read. And so what it is, is um, I know it is, but it really, this book, it really has stuck with me. I think it's so powerful. So anyway, Jana is a, um, less a single mother, essentially her daughter, Amani, well, is co-parenting, let me say. Um, and her daughter, Amani, I want to say Amani is like five or six, something four or five, like pretty young. And, the father, Anil, Anil, lives also in Toronto, but she is just, like, furiously angry at him still. And we kind of know from the beginning, and I realize that this might be a deal breaker for a lot of people, but it's, like, essentially the prologue, which is they have this really brief, intense fling where they, like, meet and connect. And it is just, like, all you know, like, just, like, instant love, like, the way that they, like, felt about each other and the connection they had. And... Then she finds out that he is married. And so then it's like the end of the prologue. And now it's like five years later. She has a baby and he actually has moved to Toronto to co-parent with her. But she has kept like the firmest boundaries of anyone, right? Like, so he picks her up or, you know, she drops her Wait, wait, wait. She yeah. has an intense one night stand. He's no, married and she has a baby. It's not a one night stand. It's not like, a one night stand. It's a okay. fling. They, got, okay. they have a fling for a couple of weeks. She gets pregnant. She gets pregnant, right? Okay. And decides to keep the baby. And he moves to Toronto. <sighs> to, and and so Scandal. you really understand pretty quickly. Like his wife was. Something's up with the wife. Right. Like he's now right. divorced, right? Like and it's, it takes, a, but you know, the book really, here's what I think, I think the thing I really admire about it. And you know this too, like, it's so easy to just be like, okay, this man is garbage, right? And that's kind of what Jana has done. Like, she has compartmentalized it really to the point where she's like, I just don't interact with him. Like, he is the father of my child, and so there's things I have to kind of handle with him, but it's all through email. She doesn't try to talk to him. She doesn't see him. And then what happens is there's a big family wedding, and it's a destination wedding to, like, where her family is from, um, in Tanzania. So it's like really cool because the whole like community, this whole like kind of Muslim community in Toronto is like, going to pick up and go to this destination wedding. And there she cannot like keep Anil in his box, right? All of a sudden she has to see him with their daughter, which she kind of didn't really experience. Mm. She gets to see the way that her daughter like loves him and is like they're relationship is so like sweet and she all of a sudden like all of the aunties and everybody are kind of like look at what a good dad he is right and that like but that also fuels a lot of her rage like you know the the way that she gets blamed for being this you know single mother and he gets like all of the strokes for being this great dad and you know there's and she really has to let go of so much of, like, the past, so much Mm -hmm. of her fear about 
kind of making these choices that make her kind of an outsider and her family and her culture, right? And just like really kind of being herself. And I just think she's a powerhouse character. I think, you know, it sounds a lot like when I'm talking about it, almost like that it's like a, like women's fiction, but it's such a romance, but it's also a romance that is like deeply rooted in the idea of like family, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're going to make a family together. Their extended family is there, right? She's really determined to sort of like, you know, kind of move on finally. And he is like, there's, I mean, it's just very emotional. I don't know. Like I said, this book has really stuck with me, uh, you know, months and months after reading about it. I think about it often. And I think it's just like a really good example of how, you know, second chance is really about like, you have to show all the baggage and you have to show that these people are really different. And this book shows this, you know, we, we get the whole journey. And so then at the end, when they're back together, you're just like, you really believe in them. Yep. I just think it is a spectacular, spectacular romance. I love it so much. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by the Seattle bookstore, The Book Larder. Jen, I'm so excited. <laughs> I just learned about this today, obviously. Um, and I can't, I can't, I'm so excited. I got to go to Seattle. Book Lard, the Book Larder focuses entirely on cookbooks and food writing and features everything from new cookbooks to imported cookbooks and signed cookbooks. They offer in-person and virtual author talks on their YouTube page so you can like see cooks and chefs and cookbook authors in person sort of showing the whole thing, showing like how to cook, um, how to make cool stuff. They are women-owned. Jen, they are magnificent (laughs) firebirds. I love this so I'm much. I'm so excited. It's like all my dream, my dream <laughs> Magnificent Firebirds have come together. Listen, this is perfect because cookbooks make amazing holiday gifts. I would never buy you one, Jen, but I do buy cookbooks for lots and lots of people at the holidays. They're big and they're beautiful and they're full color. And often there are cookbooks that have like great storytelling and great writing in them. If you call the book larder... You can get a personal interaction with one of the people, the the booksellers, and they will help you pick a perfect cookbook, maybe sign, maybe vintage, for somebody in your life who loves to cook. If you're in Seattle, you can visit them in Fremont seven days a week, um, but they have an extensive online shop. You can also call them. They ship everywhere in the world, um, and Faded Mates listeners We'll get 10% off at the book larder right now using the code FADEDMATES at checkout online, or I'm sure you could give it to them over the phone. Amazing. So you can visit Book Larder at booklarder.com. You can also find them on Instagram at Book Larder, or like we said, check out their YouTube channel, which has lots of great content. Thank you to the Book Larder for sponsoring this week's episode, and everybody get out there and get some great gifts for the upcoming holiday season. You said that Jana is like this electric heroine, like she's this powerful powerhouse heroine. Um, and I'm going to move from there. Then I'm going to go historical to Joanna Shoops. The Duke gets even. We both love this one. <laughs> well, listen. Okay, so this is most years we say we're not going to talk about books by by friends. And Joanna is my friend. Full disco- disclosure. But sometimes one of your friends writes a book, then you're just like, I got to put it on. Right. And I got to put it on because it was 
probably my favorite historical of the year. So, um, and as everybody knows, I could not let this this go without historicals. Um, okay. So this one, I think you you can absolutely read this book on its own. Joanna has done some really deft work here to make sure that it like stands by itself. But if you really want a full like picture of of where we are here, go back to the beginning of the Fifth Avenue Rebels series and start from the the beginning. I mean, first of all, I'm just giving you a gift there. You should yes, just do that just anyway. Do um, but the Duke gets even is about the Duke of Lockwood. So the whole conceit of the series itself is the Fifth Avenue Rebels. We've been watching the Duke of Lockwood over the course of this series, a British Duke. come. He's come to Newport uh, in the dead center of the Gilded Age to fetch himself uh, an American heiress. Like, he's got a title and he needs the American money, which is literally how history happened. This is real. Um what we have seen over the course of the whole book is he has successfully chosen or unsuccessfully chosen, like basically every oh, yeah, other every heroine, other heroine in, the book, <laughs> in the series, which I Not think is one. so delightful. One. And so he gets engaged, or he like sort of goes looking, and then he and then something falls through, and that heroine meets their hero in a prior book. And now here we are. The Duke is here. He is listen. <laughs> he's so sexy. He's so sexy. So he's, it, this book begins, I'm just going to talk about the meet-cue for a second because I think it's so great. It begins with him swimming in the Atlantic, like off the oh, yeah. coast of Newport. Mm-hmm. And it is hot. And he is swimming, like nude. I don't yes, know if he's nude, but does. I, I'm pretty sure I'm he's pretty nude. sure he is. We recommend it to be that way. It's nighttime and he's just swimming in the uh, freaking Atlantic like a god. <laughs> and he runs up on this like, woman who is also swimming in the nude and he's like she's clearly a mermaid <laughs> so fun. there's so no other answer <laughs> obviously that's it they like basically like wet hump i guess because you can't you can't dry hump if you're swimming <laughs> oh my god i'm fine everybody okay <laughs> So they basically like wet hump in the Atlantic. And then she's like, and he's like, who are you? And she's like, it doesn't really matter who I am. Like, oh, let's not get, let's not get bring not, names into this. That seems silly. Yep. And he's like, all right, well, why don't you come to my like hotel tomorrow? And like, we'll do this for real. And she's like, cool. And then like the next morning that, and so like it sort of moves forward and it turns out, um, so they start to have this like secret affair, except it turns out he is engaged to her best friend. Oh. At which point, Nellie, <laughs> who is so cool, like, what a cool... All of Joanna's characters are cool because Joanna is so cool. But, like, she's this child. She's, like... So Nellie's whole story is that she's this the child of this, like, incredibly rich, like, magnate, like, railroad magnate. And she's the only child. And she, like just doesn't give a shit. She's like, I'm going to inherit all this money. Like, I don't need to subscribe to, like, society's expectations for me. I'm just going to live my life. I believe in, like, sexual freedom for women. I think we should have all the same rights as men. I think we should have access to birth control. I'm funding clinics. I'm funding research. I'm funding all this stuff. I'm basically spending all my dad's money on, like, suffrage and shit. And (laughs) no one can tell me what to do. She's the best, right? And so now, but she is not 
the best. She's not a perfect duchess. Like, this is the opposite of what Lockwood needs. He needs somebody who's going to get in line and, like, go meet the queen. And that is not Nellie's. Nellie's no, got not no plans for that. No, Ask. thanks. So, listen, this book is a lot about what's interesting about it is it goes back and forth. We see a lot of, like, the past. So, we see them, obviously, falling for each other in the past because, or in the past of the series, because... Uh, that when he is engaged to her best friend, that's the first book in the series, right? Mm -hmm. So we start to, like, it really layers really interestingly. It's really, the book is a lot about, like, the past, the truth, like, what what we expect from ourselves and others when when we interact with them like do we expect them to tell us the truth from the beginning like how do we how do we reveal layers of ourselves to each other uh, how do we think about each other how do we overcome the past and the and the way that the past and and our realities and our truth build our make ourselves make make us who we are um and then on top of it it is so wildly sexy. Oh, like, yes. Like, Joanna knows the job. It, it's just, it's like finger singeing. Yes. It's so great. Anyway, go read The Duke Gets Even by Joanna Shoup. Yeah, it's so, so good. Okay, so uh, I have a historical on my list as well. Um, And I think it also plays around with sort of that whole, like, do we belong together, right? Which, of course, maybe is the concept of every romance, but... Marry Me by Midnight um, by Felicia Grossman is a gender-swapped Regency Jewish Cinderella retelling. And I could not get enough of this book. And this also is a book that I think came out maybe a couple months ago, maybe in August. And again, one of those ones that's really stuck with me because kind of for a different reason. In this one, one of my favorite things in romance, and I feel like it is unusual, is... When you are reading it and you are literally like, there's no way these two are going to work this out, right? Like you just mm-hmm. really feel that the conflict is so rich between these two that there is no possible way that it's going to work out. And that to me is like kind of like one of my favorite feelings. Like I often joke like I am. That is the high I am chasing in every romance. And so in this case, we have um, Isabella Lyra. It, it's 1832. So I said Regency, but I guess that's Victorian, whatever. Um, her father has just died. And he was like, like the Jewish community has a really powerful group of like, I don't know, elders, I guess, who like kind of help steward the, the community. And um, he also co-owned a brother, a co-owned a business with these brothers, the, um, the Barab brothers. And... She kind of was like, you know, her father died. Of course, she's in mourning and she's like full of grief. But these brothers are really like doing something super sketch, which is they are trying to like cut her her family out of like the the business. And almost like it's very interesting the way she feels about it is almost like they're erasing him. Right. Like the way that they are trying to like just sort of almost eliminate like his his like the the way that he influenced him as part of the community. And that is like so, like hurts her, right? Like she mm-hmm. loved her father. So it's not like, and I think that's really important because like she is really essentially has to kind of marry to, in order to secure like sort of the business. But it's not because of money. It's because essentially of her father's legacy that she wants to protect. Mm-hmm. 
And so, um, and of course, what happens is one of these brothers is going to try and marry her, right? Like that's they're going to be their way of doing it. So she has to find somebody else. And what happens is she has um, she enlists the help of Aaron Ellenberg, who is a really interesting member of the community. He um, is essentially like a like a custodian. He works at the um, temple. You know, they've provided him with work because he has sort of he's like almost like an orphan. He doesn't have family of his own. And so, like, they want to support him and give him a way to be a part of the community. But it means he's like this really interesting. He has a really interesting perspective. She is like the consummate insider. Right. She's like the prince. Right. She has everything and seems to be so wealthy and, you know, has everything she needs. And he is the one who is essentially like. You know, and it's not quite Cinderella because, like, you know, his wicked stepsisters. But he does not have that in that way of being in the community that that she does. So he agrees essentially to help her by like spying on like what's going on in the synagogue as like things are happening and like sort of funneling her information. And she sort of in return is going to give him money that's going to allow him to like kind of be his own person rather than being at the mercy of like kind of the largesse of the community right so it is just a fascinating book the tension between them it's like the sexual tension and the like romantic tension between them is so good but she just like cannot see him as a potential partner because she really thinks she has to be you know what would it mean for my father's legacy if I were to marry like this custodian, right? Like so, there's like all these subplots. There's like good guys and bad guys, and you know this really delicious romance between these two people that, on the face of it, should have like nothing in common, right? So that whole like Cinderella feeling, and even like the cover of this book is so beautiful, and she really is like channeling like big Cinderella energy, like she's got her hair up, and I just think the whole thing is really spectacular, and it just was a really, like, I loved reading this book. Like, I just fell into it, right? I fell into it, and that is, like, the best feeling. I love that. It's wonderful. That's Marry Me by Midnight by Felicia Grossman. I'm going to, then I'm going to do my final historical, like, well, I guess it's not my final historical, it is my final, like, straight-up historical. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. Um, I want to talk about Anna Marie and the Fox. Again, I have talked about this before. Um, briefly, I talked about it on the 23 for 23 episode. Um, but this is by Liana De La Rosa. Um, you have definitely seen this book around. The cover is gorgeous. It's beautiful and illustrated and stunning. And Anna Maria is the eldest of three sisters who... and. Uh, who is from? Who they are from Mexico, but uh, this book is set against the backdrop of um, the Mexican War of Independence from France. So, in I think it's the eighteen sixties, France is uh, France basically attempted to just gra- just take Mexico. Like, sure. hey, cool. Wouldn't what if you were just French like us? Um, <laughs> and and so um, her father, so her family is fighting. Um, they're very, very wealthy Mexicans, and they are, you know, some of them are staying, but they have sent these three girls to London to live with their uncle in London for two reasons. One, it gets them away from the war itself. And two, they're kind of like gone there in order to drum up support from Britain for 
the war in Mexico against France, right? So there's this kind of like big political thing happening about that in the background. Um, But these are incredibly wealthy young sisters and they turn up and also, I mean, like, listen, it's historical. (laughs) So there are definitely moments where... You know, this is this is a real historical heroine. At the very beginning of the book, she's like just as likely to charm you into like giving all of your money to the war or to the Mexican cause as she is to yanking her hat pin out of her hair and shiving you on the docks. (laughs) Like there are either of those things could happen, and I love both of them. No notes. Um And then when she gets there, she is, she meets Gideon Fox, who is a member of parliament and who, um, because of his own family history, is a staunch abolitionist. Um, Not that you need to have that be your family history for you to be an abolitionist, but it helps in this case. Um, He is incredible. So he is working very, very hard. It's the 1860s. So while um, slavery is... Uh, illegal on the island of Britain. It is the Atlantic slave trade still is legal. And he is working very hard to sway members of parliament to vote to make it illegal. Um, that And so he has this like very strong, very stern way of being because he's like, I'm doing something incredibly important. There is right. nothing in the world that is more important than the work that I'm doing, capital W, in Parliament. Yes. Um, and she comes in and she's like, I cannot, I do not disagree. Your work is very important, as is mine. Do you see what's happening to my people, to right. like to Mexico? And then on top of it, there's sort of this layer of she's incredibly wealthy. She has access to all of this like like high, high level of society in, in England because of her connections and her wealth. Um, But there are all these kind of like little microaggressions that she's having to deal with kind of all the time, which is great. I mean, the work, this book, so that, of course, two people who are both like passionate about their progressive, like, politics and their work, capital W, and the importance of what they're doing and their place in the world. I mean, these two are destined to bang, like, because of course they are. They are going to change the world and they're going to pull on their threads and then they're going to, like, pull on the thread together. It's so... I love it. This is one of those books, you guys, every year I think to myself, like, I just want that one romance that makes me feel like this is the work of the genre. This is what we're meant to be writing. And um, this one is about class and it's about race and it's about politics and it's, you know, historical because, of course, it's historical. This is where historical shines. And um, it's just it's great. It's beautiful. And it like it could be historical fiction. What it, You know what you were saying about Jana Goes Wild. Like it could yeah. be. Yeah, it could be shelved in a different place, but it's shelved here. And aren't we lucky for it? Yeah, I'd love to, too. Liana De La Rosa's Anna Maria and the Fox. This week's episode of Faded Maze is sponsored by Catherine Nolan, author of Keep You Both. Catherine Nolan probably sounds familiar to many of you out there that really loved Rival Radio earlier this year. So in this one, we have Paige, who is a wedding a wedding planner. She is going to take her best friends, Bo and Flora, up to their wedding venue where they're going to say yes, and she's just going to be checking off things off of her year-end list. However... An unexpected blizzard traps the three of them together in this cozy cabin. And all of a sudden, the chemistry that has been at a low simmer between the three of them is going to 
burn it up. So Paige, of course, is worried. Is this going to break up their friendship? Um, She's got a secret that she's worried is going to cause like a big kerfuffle. But I have every belief that this super steamy MFF novella set on New Year's Eve weekend is going to be the best thing for your holiday season. This is perfect for anybody who is looking for a cozy holiday novella, a forced proximity story, a snowstorm, a book where everyone's bisexual. Um, we are very excited. You can find it in print, in ebook, or with your monthly subscription to Kindle Unlimited. And thanks to Catherine Nolan for sponsoring this week's episode. You mentioned, I don't know how, but I am going to talk about a fantasy romance next. This is independently published. So this one will not be in the box, although I do think that the bookstore is going to see if they can order some print copies as an add-on. So this book is called The Midsummer Bride by Katie Wilde. And I think that Katie Wilde writes a perfect, like, 230-page romance. Right. Listen, like that is a treat, especially in fantasy. Right. So I everybody have like a, I, I, I like a light touch with the world building is what I'm going to say. And so this is in this series this is part of a series. It's you can totally read this alone because I've only read parts of the or some of these books. We have it's called the Deadlands, which is, I think, just like the name of like there's like a map at the beginning. OK, anyway, the. There's a a queen, her name's Elena, and she has been cursed. And she essentially is dying, except for the fact that she has is wearing these, like, magic rings. And these magic rings were literally, like, a raven flew into her tent one day and, like, dropped them in her lap. And so she, and, like, put them on, and it's, like, the only thing that is literally keeping her alive from this curse. And the person that cursed her is, like, her uncle, Because she's the queen and so, you know, he like curses her or, you know, and it's like complicated. Some of this gets like unwound later, kind of all the details. But she, the only hope she has is that a fortune teller at one point told her that there would be a man who would essentially like fall in love with her the minute he saw her. And that this man is like a, what's going to be the barbarian warlord. Hello. You knew I was in. I checked right in. (laughs) Jennifer checked in, um, who would essentially help her go back and um, get revenge on her uncle who poisoned her, right, who wants her crown. So she, through like some kind of deductive reasoning, decides that this guy is this man named Warwick. And Warwick has been like languishing in a jail cell. So she puts on her like queenly finery. And she's supposed to be, I like, it's like there's something about gold. So, like, she's covered in, like, gold paint or whatever and, like, this headdress. And she's so weak from this curse that she can, like, barely hold herself up. But she's like, I got to go and, like, convince this prisoner to marry me. And sure enough, when he sees her, his eyes light up. And she's like, wow, it worked, right? So he agrees, essentially, to go with her. Um, And there's, like, a lot of, like you know, fantasy stuff happening, whatever. And eventually what we realize is it's not that Warwick thought he was in love with her. It was that he saw these rings and these rings have been stolen from his people. Mm. 
Mm. And if he can recover them, he can stop this curse that's been like plaguing his land. And he thinks she stole them. So he's like, I'm going to marry this woman, get these rings back, take them to my people and like, you know, forget this woman. So they at the, in kind of are immediately at odds. Now, uh, he pretty quickly figures out like, oh, he was wrong about her. And oh, actually, he is desperately in love with her once he sees her like real face. He literally like just boom. And so they go off on this you know road trip kind of adventure and like you know all this business and like they finally get married and here's the part that's great okay i'm sorry i know i'm like talking that's no my i job, love I it Go. okay i don't want to spoil it but i will tell you this part on the day that they're finally get married this like woman who's marrying them like this witch or whatever it's like a binding ceremony where there's like mm-hmm. a red a red ribbon and, like, they tie it to each other, and then they, like, pledge their love. But, like, you can also unmarry people in this world by, like, untying this ribbon. Like, there's a way in which, like, once it gets tied a certain way, if you untie it, you can unmarry the person. And so they get married, and this woman who's marrying them is like, you know, you really should not get married with those rings on because they are full of magic. And they might have an unintended consequence on the ceremony, you might not be able to get unmarried. And Warwick is like, she can't take him off. She's going to die. At this point, he knows, right? So she has to keep him on. So they go ahead and get married with her wearing the rings. And I'm going to tell you, I don't want to spoil it. I'll spoil it for you later. I'm not going to spoil it for everybody here. The third act breakup of this book is the best one I've ever read. All right. I'm buying it right now. You should. Because... I don't even have to know. I don't even have to know what happens. I'm going to read it tonight. It is so fucking good like everybody right. i'm sorry i just swore it's so fucking good so you're sorry you're just, well no one no. here has ever had anything strange put in their ears yes. by us no so anyway <laughs> i just like really think that this is a case where you know the fantasy of it like the yeah. world of it is really like the super highway to like the tension in their relationship and their romance. And it yeah. is brilliant. Brilliant. Awesome. It's so good. Okay. I'm just, I'm not going to spoil it. I want to though. So that is, name it. The Midsummer Bride by Katie Wilde. Okay. So I'm going to do fantasy then because you were just doing fantasy. So, and this one's a little bit, this is a different, where there's like a caveat with this book for the box. Yeah. But. What, do Go you ahead. have something to say? No, okay. I think you should explain that it is. Okay. So I'm choosing as my, one of my books, for, one of my best books of the year, Freya Marska's A Power Unbound, which is the third book in her last binding series. But here's the thing. This is historical romanticy, but the fantasy, it's like 55% fantasy, 45% like romance. And so you really do need to read all three of these books to like know what's going on. Um, you particularly have to read the second book in the series because this book, the romance in this book begins in the second book. Um, so the last binding series, I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds on what the premise of the series is, but um, basically it's historical. It's Edwardian England. Magic exists in the first book, which is called A Marvelous Light. Um, there's a human 
who is accidentally hired to be like into a secret position at like parliament, like a at you know the foreign office or the home office, where like his job is essentially to liaise with the magical community. And he's like, oh shit, magic works, magic happens. Tell me all about it. And it's great. And the first book, which is a marvelous light, will sort of lead you into this story, which is the overarching story is there are bad people in the world, in the magic world, who are trying to like harness all powerful magic themselves and do bad stuff. Like it's not the most, you know, it's it's exactly well, what you imagine. It listen, be, it's right? a classic fantasy trope for a, a reason. classic structure, right? So this merry band of what ends up being—it's actually seven people. Like, ends up these these kind of couples pair up, and there's an there's another person, and they're all kind of working toward this ultimate goal of stopping these bad guys. Um, so in the first book, it's like the the setup for the whole thing. In the second book, there's like a there's a, the second book is sapphic. The first book is is uh, male male. Second book is sapphic and set on a ship. And there is a mur- it's basically a murder mystery through the whole thing, and it's super fun. And then halfway through that book, we meet these two characters who then become the couple in the final book, which is called A Power Unbound. And this book, Jack Lord Hawthorne, um, who was like this, just like asshole in the last book just stern i mean immediately the second he's on page you're like well it's obviously gonna be his book um he's like perfect in every way for me he was just the worst and uh in this book we learn in the very beginning that when he said he was born with a twin and he and his twin sister had this like intense bond but also had this incredibly powerful magic so powerful that like the moment she started practicing magic, like bad men found her and were like, we have to take your magic from you. And um, when they were children, they were put through a kind of ceremony where she, their magic was essentially taken from them and she couldn't bear it and she died. And so he has like lost this sibling, but he's also lost like it's not only his twin, but she was also like the other half of his magic. And so it's just brutal and sad. And now we know why he's been such a jerk for a whole book. Um, but he's, it's all going to be okay because he meets Alan. Now he has Alan. Um, and Alan, who is a journalist and a thief and a writer of sexy stories, mm-hmm. he does a lot of things. Um Alan is getting to the bottom of, like, everything that's been going on in the magic world, of course, of which uh, Hawthorne's past is, tied, like, deeply tied up in it. So Freya's threading this really interesting needle where, like, she's telling this big plot about fantasy, about, you know, magic, this big fantasy plot, and then matching up these, like, lovely characters along the way. This book is, the prior two books were, like, medium sexy, maybe like light sexy, then medium sexy. This one is all the way sexy. Very, Mm. very sexy. And um, it's really fun. It's really delicious because it's sort of, if you love the the Magpie Lord series, the KJ Charles series, this one is for you. Now, here's the way this is going to work. A Power Unbound is not in the box because it's, it's the book third three, book in the series. Right. So and it's hardcover, which, which makes it hard to include and it's for in price hardcover, reasons. So we wanted to be thoughtful about pricing. But you can select a Marvelous Light as an add-on to the box via Pocket this year. 
And you can start this series. Yeah. I think actually they probably are putting, I'm not sure because I haven't looked at the page, but I think they are probably putting all three of the books there. So if you want to just like jump in, if you're like historical fantasy, sign me up. This You are not going to be disappointed. So buy all three. Um, or maybe like put all three, put the other two on your like holiday on list. On your to-do list, yeah. Tell someone you love that they should buy them for you. Can I tell you something? I actually just forgot, Sarah, but I've been like in contact with like the bookstore. Mm-hmm. One really cool thing that they are doing this year is they are requesting signed book plates from the authors. Mm-hmm. So I think the first 100 boxes will have signed book books for a lot of these. Yeah. Right? Like signed book plates. So I just think that's yeah, also like Freya really cool. Yeah, is Australian and she, I know, is sending signed book plates for A Marvelous Light. So um, it's a little bit different this year, but if you want to add that in, I can guarantee that it's a very fun time. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Piper Rain, authors of Single and Ready to Jingle. Okay. So our friend Kenzie uh, really loves Christmas, Jen, like a whole lot. It should be a national holiday. She thinks, yes, exactly. December should be a national holiday. And she has this like small business where she party plans around Christmas. She decorates. She throws throws parties. She comes dressed as an elf. And um, listen, she accidentally turns up to a blind date, dressed as an elf. That's a story for another time. (laughs) Um, It doesn't go so well, that blind date. And it doesn't go that well for three reasons. One... Um, she, turns out that blind date is with Andrew, who is her brother's best friend, um, who is also the biggest grump she's ever met. And Andrew hates Christmas. So there is just no way this is going to work out. Here's the problem, Jen. Andrew has to plan his firm's holiday party, and he needs somebody who really is crazy for Christmas to come do that for him, which gives Kenzie an opportunity to not only build her small business, but also prove that she can turn this Grinch into a Christmas loving beefcake, sounds like. (laughs) So she's going to make his heart grow three times its size. She's going to make something something else else. grow three times its size. And it isn't long until Andrew discovers that there is such a thing as a Christmas miracle. So everybody, you can check out Single and Ready to Jingle. It is available on ebook and print and also in audio with dual narration, which I know people really love. And speaking of audiobooks, you can listen to the first three chapters of Single and Ready to Jingle at the end of this week's episode. Thanks to Piper Rain for sponsoring. I don't know how I'm transitioning to my next book, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. It is... uh, a rom-com, Mickey Chambers Shakes It Up by Cherish Reed. And I, gosh, I love this book, everybody. Okay, so um, this, I don't know, like, you know how you just love a book with great characters, right? Like, when I'm really thinking about, like, what is it that, like, drew me to this book? And if you have not read a book by Cherish, she is just a really great writer. Like, she just, like, knows how to, like, I don't know. There's some people that you just, like, fall into their books and they just, like, know how to take you on, like, this journey. So, Mickey Chambers is um, young. I think she's, like, 30 or 32, maybe. And she has, like, kind of pieced together a, and she is, like, pure sunshine also. Um, She has pieced together kind of a living as an adjunct at, like, several local universities teaching, like, composition classes. And there's some problems with this. She has um, uh, 
kind of a, a tough time. She doesn't really have great medical insurance, right? Like she is kind of constantly, um, you know, like trying to make the money work to like buy the medicine she needs and, you know, kind of like pay the rent and all that stuff. And so um, at, it's summer. And like, I think what happens is like one of these classes like falls through. So she's walking in town and sees this like local bar has like a help wanted sign. So she goes into this bar and because she's like, look, I'm just going to, you know, how hard can it be, right, to like wait tables or be a bartender um, as a way of just like adding some extra money. And it's like really interesting. She has a lot of pride. Like she has an older, uh, I think he's actually a younger brother who kind of makes enough money and is kind of like, let me help you. And she's like, no, we are not going to help me, right? Like I'm going to do it. The bar owner is named Diego Acosta and he is a widower, which I love. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I love it. And he essentially. (laughs) I'm not sorry. I love it. I'm not sorry. I love it. Uh Diego is 42. So he's older than her. And he is running this bar that had been his wife's. Now she's been, I think, gone for about five years. So, you know, the grief is sort of like really muted. He misses her. But like running the bar and the restaurant was like her joy And he was just, like, the guy who, like, kind of kept it running and did the bookkeeping and, like, that kind of stuff. But now he's had to really sort of take over in the front. And it's been a real struggle for him. So he's really stressed. But he also promised his wife that he would go back to school. Uh Right? And so it turns out that he is enrolled for his first online class. And who do you think is his adjunct? Mickey (gasps) Chambers? Perfect. Right? Perfect. So, and you know what? It's really funny because, you know, yeah, you know what was really great, though, is I think because it's online, it didn't really, like, strike as much, you know. But, um, and also, he's her boss, right? So, he's her boss at the bar, and she's his teacher at the college, and so it all kind of felt, like, a little even to me. But I also think there's this really beautiful part where she has assigned, like, you know, just, like, a journaling exercise. Uh Uh-huh. And he wrote about his wife. And mm. I had this moment where I was like, if if being a writing teacher, being an English teacher, like you do really sometimes read such incredibly personal things. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this was sort of like, you know, it was, but it's just like really beautifully done in the way that like Mickey, like kind of can hear what he has to say and is like really encouraging of him as a writer and, and. You know, so anyway, like there's all this like back and forth and it turns out that she's going to be a bartender with him because they've hired another waitress and it's summer and there's all these crowds. And you guys, this book was just a perfect contemporary romance. Oh, I love it. Right. Like and I just feel like, you know, those are kind of hard to find. But like he's grumpy. She's sunshine. But like this conflict between them Mm -hmm. is so rich because of the way that they, um, you know, have like a some power over each other right but she is it's just perfect right like and even though they're you know i i don't know i just i had adriana recommended this book to me and i was like okay sure i'll give it a shot and i like just zoomed right through it like it was that perfect feeling of just being like all right like this is how reading a romance should feel i love that feeling it's so good i love it that's mickey chambers shakes it up I cherish read. I'm going to go from like emotion, like heavy, like, yeah. like real emotion, feelings. Um, like big feelings. So I want to talk about Adriana Anders's We'll Never Have Paris, which I 
was thinking about holding for the holiday episode, but then I was like, no, I really love this book. I'm going to put it on the list. So um, I will probably talk about it again in a few weeks when we do our holiday episode. But um, it's awesome. I love this one too. It's short and incendiary and it's so great, but in classic Adriana Anders fashion, like, first of all, anybody who's read Adriana's books knows, like, she brings heat in mm-hmm. all forms, mm-hmm. which is great. And I, I mean, it's perfection. And I read everything she's written because of that, because, like, they're just great, fast, sexy reads. But she does not stop there. Every one of her books has just like a big feeling. Like she doesn't, yes. she minds her characters' backstories for like intense um, emotion. Yes. She is, I mean, not one of her characters is left like uncrafted, right? I mean, they're all right. so, they're so beautifully wrought. So, but this is really fun. <laughs> this is uh, the heroine. Uh, Jules, is an American who is living in Paris, and it is Christmas Eve, and she is flying back to America tomorrow, Christmas Day. Um, Her neighbor in this apartment where she lives is Colin, who is a grumpy Welshman who Mm -hmm. hates her. Like, hates her. Like, really, is like, she is loud, she is brash, she is so American. Why does she look so hot all the time? Like, I just can't with her. She's too much. Altogether, um, which is all well and good until they're in one of those old Parisian elevators in their apartment building and the power goes on the fritz. Yes. And the lights go out and they are stuck in this elevator together. And, she's and it's Christmas like, Eve. Do you say that already? Christmas yeah. Eve. Yeah. And she's wearing her nightgown and it is. And then suddenly there is just like, this intense moment of like every I I hate you, but also like I want you. Oh boy, we're stuck in an elevator in Paris, right? And whatever shall we do? Book is so dirty, and I love it. <laughs> uh, and but also like is really about loneliness, yeah. And it's really about like feelings and the feelings that ho- the holidays can evoke, and about. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of loss in this book. Like there, he's lost a sibling, she's lost a parent, and um, it just feels emotional and deep and important in, for the way that we live in the world as humans. Yeah, and also incredibly sexy. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think you're this not is... going to feel bad about it. Yeah, and this to me, um, this book also the Katie Wilde like. Mm-hmm. This to me, it's like, this is like what Kindle Unlimited is for, right? Like these great, I mean, I know that there's a lot of really long books in KU right now, but like these like 200 page bangers are what I'm in it for. Yeah. And they, and I I also think like there's something to be said for, I mean, it's literally like we talk about like, like you know, a phone booth. I guess yep. maybe we should just I mean, call them elevator romances, elevator. right? Like a literal elevator romance. It's fantastic. Really delicious. You are not going to be sad. Yeah. It's, I should just tell everybody I did work on a draft of this book, but oh, it's fine. You didn't pick it. I didn't even I know didn't, that yeah, until this fine. exact moment. Until so listen. Moment. But if you're reading the acknowledgments, you're like, wait, what's Jen doing? Sarah picked it and it's fine. I picked it and it's, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. So listen, December is in two days. You want a cozy holiday read? This is it. 
Um, okay, and my final book, which is not my final book, but it's just the last one that we're talking about, is uh, Zoraida Cordova's Kiss the Girl, which I have also talked about on the podcast before, which is why I have extras, guys, because I've talked about right some of these books before. And we had Zoraida on to talk about fairy tale retellings. And- we did, and so we talked about it then, but I often find that like when we have guests on... We don't do enough talking about their book. We talk about other things, which is, you know, the point of the podcast. But so this is where I get to talk about Zoraida's book, you know, for real and say uh, this is a retelling. First of all, out of the gate, I want to say this is a closed door romance and it's a retelling of The Little Mermaid. And if you have a tween or a teen in your life who loves Taylor Swift, but like maybe isn't ready for like sexual content in her books or or their books this is perfect this is it yeah um and i mean it's a great starter romance this this main character is not taylor swift but like there if you have i mean right now it feels like everybody has one of these music and like a a woman in a band and a strong like right like that artistic temperament like all those things right yes so, I mean, I just think, like, this is the perfect gift for that kid in your life. Yeah. Um, it's not YA, though. It's also the perfect gift for you. So you will <laughs> enjoy it immensely. Okay. So the premise is Ariel. Uh, same names apply. Ariel is so. one of a girl band, like a sort of rock band, superstars, like absolute mega stars. Think like One Direction, but sisters. Right. And there are eight of them, seven of them. There's seven of them, obviously. It's called, obviously, there are seven of them, seven sirens, uh, the siren seven. And they um, are having their, the book opens on their farewell, their farewell concert. Like they are done now. They are, they are deciding like to go their separate ways and like try new things with their lives because they have spent their entire basically like young adulthood being, yeah. Celebrities being like pop superstars. Um, and they have never been out from under the thumb of their like fairly, fairly, extremely domineering father, right? The mm-hmm. King Triton of it all. Um, <laughs> so, uh, a meet cute <laughs> daddy. He's unfortunately, he's not quite as daddy as King Triton could be. And King Triton would be, but um, a, a very different book, I understand. It's different, unfortunately. Um, but the, so, a meet cute happens and so they sneak out they go to a they go to a club in brooklyn like they've like never done anything like this because they have been superstars forever and they meet uh eric who is the uh lead singer and guitarist for this like up and coming band that's about to embark the following day on a nash like a tour around the country, but like, not like a cool tour, like a, (laughs) we're all in a van, like doing, like just sort of getting it done across the country. Right. And, um, for romance reasons, through a confluence of romance reasons, Ariel gets a job as the merch girl for this band. And she goes undercover on this tour bus with this band for their first, like, go around and it's great it's a road trip romance because of course they make a deal like there's a deal that's made with eric and his bandmates that he won't sleep with the merch girl 
But of course, like they're obsessed with each other almost instantly. They love each other. They think they're, they like can't get enough of each other, except like there. So there's that sort of constant tension of like, but we can't, but we can't. Mm-hmm. Also, because we're on a bus with all these people, sure. right? Um, not that kind of book, Jen. And <laughs> so, and it's just really great because. I mean, everyone knows I love a rock star. Everyone knows I love a celebrity. And part of the reason why is because I love somebody who has to step out of the limelight to understand who they are. Um, And that's what this book is. I think Zoraida is one of the best writers writing today in multiple genres. Um, This book is just, it's going to hit you in all the feelings. It's the perfect read for you, for young people in your life, for like, if you, like I said, if you want to introduce romance to somebody, um, it's funny and it's sexy and it's smart and it's thoughtful and it does all the things that like rom-coms should be doing right now and also does it with like massive amounts of feeling and a big found family, which is great. You're the perfect thing. The perfect thing. And that is Kiss the Girl by Zoraida Cordova and my final book. That's it. Ten. There it is. Is that 10? did the job. I, I think, think it's 11. did the job too. Well, maybe I it's not. It's, it's 10 counting who knows yeah the thing that's hard always everybody like oh let's say we'll go ahead and say like the standard disclaimers here at the end right like these are just books we love that spoke to us for whatever reason right like there were lots of great romances this year there are lots of great romances we didn't talk about for various reasons we cannot wait to hear about the books you loved and the thing yes, of course please recommend them to yeah, us right we're the always thing looking always sort of tricky is like because we're always constantly reading backlists, right? Like some of the best books I read this year, I haven't talked about because they were not published in 2023. So, you know, keep in mind that like they're, you know, the best of is always a moving target in this genre. Mostly what we love is romance. We had a great time reading these books. We think you will have a great time reading these books. And we want to support, right? Like romance in our libraries, in our local bookstores, in our little free libraries, under our Christmas trees, with our Hanukkah presents, wherever, you know, wherever great romances can be found. So we hope that you read these and share them. We hope that to hear what your favorite romances are. And just remember, right, like lots of great books don't get on the list. And it's not that we don't love them. It's just that we only choose 10. That's right. Um, I also just want to give a shout out to some of our favorite books by our friends this year. Adriana Herrera had an Island Princess Starts a Scandal, which is a sapphic historical set in 1890s in Paris Mm -hmm. and is a banger. Um, Kate Claiborne had Georgie All Along, which is just gorgeous. A gorgeous book by Kate Claiborne. I mean, when is she not written a gorgeous book? But... Uh, There we are, Georgie's for every single girl out there who has ever thought to themselves, like, can I, I have to go home and who am I now that I'm back? Um, And Christina Lauren had the True Love Experiment, um, which is a love letter to romance novels. It sure was. Um, Diana Quincy had, uh, hang on. The Mark Quest makes his move? Was that this? No, no. Diana Quincy had The Duke Gets Desperate, which is a, a Regency Castle book. <laughs> uh, I Inherited This Castle. No, wait, I Inherited This Castle book. Sure. Uh, so let's just bang it out, even though we hate each other. Tracy Livesey's, I don't have complaints. Yeah, Tracy Livesey's second book in the American Royalty series came out this summer called The Duchess Effect. 
Um, I think she also released a novella, kind of like... Uh, I'm going to talk about it on the Christmas episode. Oh, so we're not going to say anything yet. We're going to talk about it on the Christmas Come episode. back for the Christmas episode, for the holiday episode. I'm going to talk about it then. And then Sophie Jordan has uh, had her first book in the, her new series, The Scandalous Ladies of London, called The Countess, um, which is kind of a big Real Housewives of London, kind of the beginning of a Real Housewives of London kind of structure. Um, and the Duke's uh, the Duke starts a scandal, uh, which is her most recent book, and uh, has probably the sexiest cover I have seen all year. Have you seen that one where she's like pushing him up against the wall? Mm-hmm. I'll take it, man. <laughs> yeah, we love read lots of great romances this year. When you look at the pocket books list, they have books we recommend. Right? They'll have our books. The I think it's seven trade paperbacks and one Marry Me by Midnight is a mass market paperback. Is that right? No, two mass market paperbacks. The yeah, because jo- jo- Joanna Shoop, the Duke gets even. Um, then there'll be like sort of these other ones that we've recommended or that are by our friends. And then underneath that, you will see books that the bookstore loved. So you can just fill up your box with lots of great romances this and year. And also... I was there a month or so back and I signed all my my books for them. So if you're looking for a signed book by me, you can hopefully find it there. Perfect. Well, everybody, that's it. That's our best of 2023. Till next We've year. We've done it again. <laughs> um, we hope we filled your to-be-read piles very, very high. Again, you can visit fadedmates.net slash pocketbooks to order the box and any of the supplemental books uh, with it. Let us know what you do with these boxes. We want to see pictures. Oh, yeah. Um, Post them on the Discord. If you are not a member of our Discord, you can join it now at patreon.com slash fadedmates where you'll get more uh, episodes from us, video interviews with authors who we like and know, um, and also just like this rollicking Discord it full is rollicking. of people who love romance novels. So um, if you're looking for a place to find your people, that is the place to find your people. I'm Sarah McLean. I am here with my friend Jen Prokop. We are Faded Mates. You can find us every Wednesday in your ear holes uh, on the podcasting app of your choice or at FadedMates.net, on Twitter at FadedMates, on Instagram at FadedMatesPod. And don't forget that you can stay tuned to listen to the first three chapters of Single and Ready to Jingle by Piper Rain in audiobook right now. Chapter 1. Kenzie. Not much draws the gaze of a New Yorker. Except maybe a 28-year-old woman running down Fifth Avenue in Manhattan while wearing red and white striped tights, elf ears, and curved green shoes with hanging bells. I rush past the gawking men and women, clutching their shopping bags that contain items that cost more than my monthly rent. Damn it, I mumble, stopping at a red light, sounding like a Christmas carol as I jog in place. I'm going to be late, and there's nothing I hate more than disrespecting another person's time. It's just plain rude. As soon as the cars clear the intersection, before the little walking man pedestrian signal lights up, I step off the curb. If you ever want to tell the difference between a tourist and a born-and-bred New Yorker, wait to see when they cross the street. A real Manhattanite believes that pedestrian signals are merely suggestions, not rule of law. 
I run down the sidewalk, my blonde braids bouncing with every step, the bells hanging from my toes and skirt ringing the entire way. I love Christmas. Like, love, love Christmas. Most Americans wait until after Thanksgiving to put up their Christmas decorations, but not me. Mine go up the day after Halloween. At the next light, I pull my phone from my purse to see how close I am to the restaurant my date chose for tonight. I'm only a few blocks away. I object, and I, met on the blind dating app. The idea behind the app is that you converse with people and get to know them without seeing a picture of them. Everyone is vetted thoroughly before they can join the app, and because it isn't free, it keeps out a lot of the creeps. In fact, I pay a premium to have no idea who I'm going out with, which sounds kind of crazy because I'm not exactly swimming in money. But if you had my same history when it comes to dating, you would too. Safety is paramount, though. When you confirm to meet in person, you have to load all the details into the app. When, where, with what user, etc. I guess that way if my body shows up in the Hudson, the police will know who to question first. No, I haven't found a love match yet. But I've been on some decent dates with some okay guys. All the other apps seem to be full of guys looking only for hookups, misogynists, or men with foot fetishes. If I never have to see an unsolicited dick pic again in my life, that premium is worth it. Dating in New York City is its own version of Dante's Nine Circles of Hell, so I decided the new app was worth giving it a try. What's the worst that can happen? I'll go on more bad dates? Been there, done that. Have the therapist bill to prove it. All I know about I Object is that he's 34, enjoys watching football, and he's a lawyer. I'm trying not to hold the lawyer thing against him since my older brother is also a lawyer. We've chatted a few times on the app, and even though I don't think we've really connected in a big way, he asked me out and I figured, why not give it a try? At the very least, I might score a free meal with some interesting conversation. I didn't plan on showing up dressed as an elf, though. But hey, it's a great icebreaker. If he's the guy for me, he'll see the humor in the fact that I forgot my change of clothes at home this morning, and because work ran late. I didn't have time to take the subway all the way downtown to grab presentable attire before our date. I turn off Fifth Avenue onto 52nd, spotting the restaurant sign. I slow to a fast walk, hoping some of the sweat that's causing my costume to stick to my skin will dissipate. A man and woman are leaving the restaurant as I arrive, and he holds the door open for me while the woman openly cranes her neck to watch me. My gaze roams the expensive restaurant, and I realize I may have made a mistake in choosing not to be late over going home and changing. The couple waiting to be seated turns to look at me. Have a candy cane. I dig a few out of my pockets and hand them to them. Remember, Santa's always watching. Rather than cowering, I raise my chin to project confidence, as if it's not weird to be dressed as one of Santa's helpers in a five-star restaurant. The hostess gives me a tight-lipped smile. We don't allow singing telegrams here. She leans forward and whispers, her platinum blonde hair slipping from behind her ears. Oh no, I'm meeting someone. The reservation is under the name Marshall. 
Marshall was a pet hamster I had growing up and the name I told I object to put the reservation under. She doesn't say a word as she looks from me to the tablet in her hands. Your party has already arrived. Follow me. Thank you. She turns and walks farther into the restaurant, weaving through tables. The bells hanging off me sound obnoxious in the subdued space. Out on the streets of Manhattan, they didn't seem so loud. But there's nothing I can do about them now. I'm here, and we'll make the best of it. If anything, it's a cute story if things turn out good with I object. She leads me to a table for two. It's hard to mistake the horror in my date's eyes as I approach the table. He's handsome, dressed in an expensive navy suit with a red tie. His square jaw is covered with a short beard that matches his light brown hair, which has a copper sheen to it. Most interesting about his hair is the inch-wide streak of gray at the front on his left side. It's unique and different. Here you are, the hostess says and gestures. I object, slides out of his chair to stand. Well, good start. At least he's a gentleman. Hi, I'm Rainbow Rider. I wave a little shyly as his bluish-gray eyes take me in from head to toe. It's not in the sexual way one would hope on a first date. More in a questioning way, as if asking, are you really wearing an elf costume? I'll just have to win him over with my charming personality. Chapter 2 Andrew It's already been a shit day. First, my sole competitor for partnership at the law firm won his case and is being lauded as the next Johnny Cochran, regardless of the fact that the case was a slam dunk from the beginning. The defense's staggering ineptitude practically handed him the victory. Second, my daft assistant entered the wrong time in my calendar, so when my biggest client showed up, I was unprepared. And third, my blind date just arrived, dressed like an elf. I'm not clear on if she actually thinks of herself as an elf, or maybe there's a weird Christmas role-playing underbelly within the city that I'm unaware of. Doesn't matter. This is definitely not a match. The only question is, how soon can I get this date to end? Hi. I'm Rainbow Rider. She smiles as though nothing is amiss. I suppose there's not much to be done now except suffer through dinner and get out of here as soon as humanly possible. Good to meet you. I nod and take my seat. She pulls out her chair and sits, sounding like a goddamn chorus of bells. The diners nearby all glance over and my hand clenches the armrest of the chair. Lord, please, if you're taking requests, please do not let anyone I know see me with an absolute balmy woman. Oh, you're Scottish, she says with a big smile. English, actually. She chuckles. Sorry, where in England are you from? A tight smile forms on my lips as I decide whether I should take the time to educate her that English and Scottish people sound nothing alike. I figure that will only prolong our time together. I'm from London. Oh, very posh she says in a terrible version of my accent. I draw a breath. Luckily, the server arrives to take our drink order. I, however, decide to order my meal at the same time to shorten this complete waste of my evening. There are a million more beneficial things I could be doing with my time than dining with an elf. 
I'll have two fingers of your best scotch, please, and the salmon dish for my entree. Absolutely, sir. And for you? The waitress turns to my date, and it's clear she's doing her best to keep her gaze focused on my date's face and not let it drift down to her ridiculous outfit. Oh, I didn't realize we were ordering right away. Okay. She peruses the menu quickly and looks back at the waitress with a bright smile. I'll have a glass of your house white with the filet mignon. And how would you like it cooked? Medium well, please. The waitress nods and takes our menus. I'll be back in a minute with your drinks. I nod and turn my attention back across the table. Why did you order white wine? She appears perplexed, so I help her out. Red wine pairs with red meat, not white. Her bright smile finally falters. Oh, well, I don't really like red, so white it is. But wouldn't you prefer a drink that enhances the flavor of your meal, not tarnishes it? She looks at me as though she doesn't know how to answer, so I shake my head. Never mind. Care to explain the outfit? I have to know whether I am in fact dealing with a crazy person or not. Her cheeks pinken and she bites her plump bottom lip. I'm an event planner, and I had a gig today for holiday photos, and I thought it would be fun to dress as an elf. The kids loved it, but I forgot my change of clothes at home, so I didn't have time to get all the way back there, change, and then be on time for our date. So you thought it best to show up wearing that? I motioned with my hand across the table. Hey, I'm single and ready to jingle. She wiggles in her seat, making the bells ring. Once again, the majority of the diners look in our direction. Lord, what have I done to deserve such torture? When I don't laugh with her, her face falls and a foreign feeling of guilt worms its way through my veins. I didn't want to be late or make you wait. The sincerity in her voice surprises me. Still, I cannot sit here and suffer through a date with a woman who shows up presumably to attract a grown man dressed as a fictional character. If anyone I know sees me, I'll never live it down. God knows I've been embarrassed enough for one lifetime. I open my mouth to politely tell her that while it's been nice meeting her, I don't think we're a match and I'm going to leave, but she speaks first. We haven't even properly introduced ourselves yet. I'm Kenzie Montgomery. She holds her hand out across the table. I roll the familiar name over in my head a few times, trying to sort out where I've heard it before, but come up empty. I take her small hand in mine and shake it. Andrew, Wainwright. Her hand stills in mine. Wait, Andrew, Wainwright? Did you by chance go to Columbia Law School? I drop her hand in my forehead wrinkles. The waitress returns and sets our drinks on the table. Your meal shouldn't be too long. I thank her before returning my attention to Kenzie, who is staring at me with wide eyes. I attended Columbia Law School, yes. I'm almost positive we can't share any acquaintances or friends. I'm sure I'd remember hooking up with her. There's no elf makeup blocking her face. After Moira, there were certainly some drunken nights, but none in which I partook in losing myself in another woman. Besides, this woman would have had to be in London at the time, and she doesn't exactly strike me as a worldly person. By the time I came to New York, I had my sights set on excelling in my career. So I know for certain I haven't been with her in the decade plus since. You know my brother, Finn Montgomery. My stomach sinks. I don't only know her brother, he's my best mate. You're Finn's little sister. My mouth is agape as I try to make sense of this. 
I thought his sister's name was... She grins. He's the only one who calls me Mac. Everyone else calls me Kenzie. But my given name is Mackenzie. Kenzie looks as if it's a delightful situation we found ourselves in. I, however, realize two things. First, ditching dinner is no longer an option, and I'll be forced to endure the shame of dining with a full-grown elf woman. Second, the fact she's Finn's sister gives me the perfect out without having to make an excuse for why we're not a match. Because if anything ever happened between Kenzie and me, Finn would murder me. Chapter 3 Kenzie I can't believe Andrew Wainwright is sitting across from me. Well, it truly is a small world then, isn't it? His smile strains, and I can't tell if it's because he's uncomfortable knowing I'm Finn's sister or not. I mean, he hasn't exactly appeared to be super into the date so far. In fact, he's been kind of a jerk. I get the elf costume, but a nice person would have tried to make me feel as if it wasn't that big of a deal. Whereas he's making me feel like a loser. Regardless of his coolness. This is my brother's best friend, so while it's obvious there's no romantic match, we can still salvage a nice dinner. I've always been curious about Andrew. They met in law school after my brother had already long moved out of our house in Indiana. I only moved to the city after college, and I guess our paths never crossed. From what my brother has told me, Andrew is obsessive about his law career and puts in a lot of time at the law firm he works at. I see that now as he keeps glancing at his watch. I can't believe you're Andrew Wainwright. It's crazy that we'd end up on a date together. Yes, well, clearly there will be no romantic entanglement between us now. Of course. The relief I hear in his voice stings, but I brush it off because he's right. We can still enjoy our dinner, though. He nods in a stilted way that makes me think he'd rather just end dinner now. So, are you a divorce attorney like my brother? He sips his drink. I'm a litigation lawyer at Simon Burns and Schofield. We mostly deal with large corporations and enforcing the contracts they have in place. Okay, so what is it you actually do? His nostrils flare and he sort of huffs as if my question is annoying. Think of it this way. If someone breaks part of a contract, or if there's a dispute over the terms of a contract, our clients come to us to get us to try to enforce the contract. It could be that someone is in breach of a business deal, someone is suing a company for something, maybe a CEO was terminated and contesting the directive of the contract they signed in such an event. It never ceases to amaze me the number of reasons people can get in conflict with one another. I nod. Sounds interesting, I say. Not because I actually think it does, but because I'm a polite person. Sitting behind a desk and staring at legalese all day sounds miserable to me. It can be. I prefer the days I'm in court over the days I'm poring over contracts to find one loophole I can use for my client's benefit. Is that because you're argumentative? The words leave my mouth before I think better of them. He tilts his head. Argumentative? Not in a bad way. The impression I get is you do well arguing your point in front of other people. Maybe argumentative is the wrong word. He frowns. Perhaps. I've never given it much thought. We sit in silence for a beat. Because I insulted him. Because he hasn't been all warm and fuzzy to me so far. 
I'm going to use the restroom. I push my chair back and cringe when all the bells on my costume ring. It's worse when I walk to the restroom. Although I stand by my decision to not be late, I'm slightly embarrassed now, which I think is more due to Andrew's reaction than my own. Tessa's going to get a kick out of this one. After I return to the table, purposely ignoring the way all the other diners glare at me, I retake my seat. My meal is waiting for me while Andrew has started eating his, and he's getting on me for an elf costume? It's common etiquette to wait for your date to return before you eat. Rather than say anything, I smile as I take my seat. How's the salmon? He finishes chewing. Excellent. Perfectly done. I nod and set my napkin over my red and green skirt, then pick up my cutlery and cut into my steak. Red liquid oozes from the meat, and I hold up the piece to inspect it. Didn't you ask for your steak to be cooked medium well? Andrew asks, surprisingly observant. I sigh. Yeah, that's okay, though. A line forms between his eyebrows, which I've noticed is a sign of his displeasure. I would know it's been directed at me several times tonight. Why would you eat it like that? Just call the server back here and tell them to cook it longer. No, it's fine. I don't want to bother her. I put the piece of meat in my mouth and chew, stifling my reaction to spit it out. Andrew looks as though he's barely suppressing an eye roll, but goes back to his own meal. The two of us sit there, paying rapt attention to our meals, eating in silence. Awkwardness crawls over my skin like poison ivy. I hate awkward moments. I mean, I'm sure everyone does, but I think I hate them more than most. One of those childhood wounds people harbor for years or go to therapy for. I work up the courage to talk. I'd rather deal with his attitude than this uncomfortableness. So, how long have you been in the U.S.? His body stiffens from what I thought was an innocent question. I came as soon as I graduated uni in London to attend law school. He reaches for his drink and takes another sip. I notice it's getting low, and I wonder if he'll stick around for a second. Did you plan on staying after graduation? Or was your original plan to return to England? I sip my wine and sit back, not too interested in my meal. You're full of questions, huh? His lips press in a thin line. I wasn't positive, but I had an idea that I might stay. He wipes his mouth with his napkin and leans back in his chair. Event planning isn't an easy business to get into. No, it's not. And my company isn't huge, yet. I smile at him, but his face doesn't change from his blank expression. Mostly I do smaller events, birthday parties, anniversary parties, that kind of thing. And I put together my own events, like the one I did today. My dream is to move into doing larger scale events, but I'm still waiting on my big break. He finishes his drink, the ice clinking to the empty glass. And what exactly would a big break entail in the event planning world? He picks up his fork and buries his head in his dish. I frown for a second, because he sounds condescending, but I decide to look past it. Planning an event for a celebrity or someone well-known in the socialite circle, and pulling it off. Most of the event planning business is word of mouth. It just takes someone giving me a chance to show I'm capable. He nods while he chews, but says nothing. I cut into my steak and fork a piece, bringing it to my mouth. 
That film of floundering silence coats me again. Andrew looks at his salmon as though it's personally offended him. I swallow and decide to take one last stab at a decent conversation. Will you be traveling home to see your family over the holidays? His knife screeches across the plate, and he quickly looks around at the other diners before peering across at me. No, I won't. I don't generally do much for the holidays. You don't do much for holidays? My tone sounds as if he just told me he kicks puppies for fun. Oh, I love Christmas. I'm a total Christmas nut. I smile, hoping some of my cheer will rub off on him. He looks at my chest and back up to my face. Wouldn't have figured. His sarcastic comment doesn't do much to salvage this evening. Let me guess. You already have your Christmas tree up. Trees, plural. I wink. How silly of me to assume you'd only have one. You said you don't do much for the holidays, but you can't mean Christmas is included. I feel as if it's an innocent enough question, but something passes over his face. It's quick, almost like a searing flash of pain, but it disappears. Not particularly. I frown. How can you not like Christmas? There's so much to love. I fork my potato around since it's the only thing I'm probably going to eat. Like what? The influx of tourists into the city so it takes twice as long to get anywhere? The pressure to find someone the perfect gift because if you don't, then that must mean you don't care enough about them. The commercialism of the entire holiday. He gives me a hard glare. Families pretending that they're perfect when in fact nothing could be further from the truth. I stare at him for a beat because, geez, this man is like a real-life, living and breathing Scrooge. You're pretty cynical. My forehead wrinkles and I place my fork down, my appetite gone. I'm a realist. Christmas is an entirely commercial affair that puts money in the pockets of large corporations and stockholders, and nothing more. That's a crappy way of looking at something so magical that brings people together. He wipes his mouth again, and I don't miss the way he white-knuckles the fabric. Well, Kenzie, some of us aren't as daft as others when it comes to the holidays. My head notches back as if he's physically shoved me. Are you calling me crazy? You came to a dinner date dressed as a bloody elf. The napkin drops to his lap and he leans across the table, his face growing redder. What grown woman shows up to a date with a man she presumably wants to begin some type of relationship with, dressed as a children's Christmas character? My eyes burn with unshed tears because the disgust and condescension in his voice is something I've known all too well in my life. I stand with a flourish, the tiny bells ringing. At this point, no one else is really paying attention to the bells or that I'm dressed like an elf. I can see now that arriving here dressed like this, I shake my hips for a little extra emphasis and quite frankly to annoy him, was a mistake. But my intention wasn't to embarrass you. It was so I wouldn't leave you sitting in a restaurant waiting for your date to show up. Making you think your blind date was a no-show felt rude and demeaning to me. So I showed up here like this. But you had two choices. You could have laughed it off and appreciated that I did what I could to be on time. Show it mattered that I thought of you and your feelings. Or you could make me feel like an idiot. And you chose the latter. He opens his mouth, but I raise my hand. As much fun as this evening has been, I'm leaving. And don't worry, I'll do you the courtesy of not telling my brother what a dick you were to his little sister.
I toss my napkin on the table and storm off in a chorus of tinkling bells. If I ever see Andrew Wainwright again, it will be too soon.